What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 213 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Paul Higgins from buildlivegive.com. And Paul's story is a great one because it's so poignant right now with the situation that a lot of people are in with not having jobs, feeling like there's no opportunity. Well, this story is going to inspire the heck out of you because Paul started this business in the hospital bed when he had to have a kidney replaced. His best friend gave him a kidney. Paul has polycystic kidney disease, and he knew the day was going to come where he couldn't really do the corporate life anymore. And so while laying in his hospital bed, decided it was time to start giving back and decided to start Build, Live, Give, where he helps seven-figure service-based business owners level up, take their business to the next level. Paul had 18 years in corporate working with Coca-Cola. He learned a lot and really honed his skills as an entrepreneur, as he says, to where now he helps individuals take their business to another level. Again, a really inspirational story. It was such a pleasure talking to Paul. And again, like you hear me say, what do I have to complain about? Nothing. If he can do it, any of us can do it. Become a high achiever, put our heads down, and just start with something that we feel inspired by, that we're passionate about, that is going to help a lot of other people. That's what Paul does. I have no doubt you're going to enjoy this story. If you're a first-time listener, please hit that subscribe button or whatever you're listening to this to. If you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that in a few ways. One thing that really helps, and both Paul and I really would appreciate it, is if you shared this episode with a friend. Sharing Misfits and Rejects helps get the word out. More people follow Misfits and Rejects. That brings me higher up in the algorithms and the search engines that be. So just to share, huge for us to get noticed and found. Liking and commenting on Misfits and Rejects, Apple Podcasts gives you that opportunity. Some other podcast players do as well. If you have that opportunity, I sure would appreciate five stars and leaving a comment or a little review on what you liked about Misfits and Rejects. These are the top three things that really help me out in getting Misfits and Rejects found, boosting listenership and potentially me reaching my goal of possibly getting a sponsor at some point in the future. If you're a longtime listener of Misfits and Rejects or somehow you feel really inspired by these stories that I'm capturing, you can also support Misfits and Rejects by heading over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and picking up a t-shirt. All the teachers are super comfortable and I love receiving the selfies of people wearing the Misfits and Rejects t-shirts around the world. The other way is to head over to patreon.com backslash misfitsandrejects and giving a monthly donation. Whatever you want, it's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. But those donations range from $1, $5, $10. I've had individuals give me 25 in the past as well. All appreciated. Nothing is expected. But those are a few of the ways that you can really help support Misfits and Rejects and what I'm trying to achieve by just growing the message, inspiring you, the listener, inspiring as many people as possible to take that first step into whatever lifestyle they really want. Whether you're sick of your corporate job and you've always wanted to become a yoga instructor, or if you're somebody who is sick of your corporate job and wants to become an online entrepreneur, digital nomad, if you're somebody who's really excited about travel, but obviously under these certain circumstances is a little bit nervous, well, there's still tons of people traveling out there. The digital nomad community that I'm based in, they're all over the world, still moving around finding places they can go, learning about new cultures and new languages and things that they are motivated to learn while they travel, while they are enabling themselves to do this through their online entrepreneurship and their online business endeavors. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure doing this for you week in and week out, but it does take a lot of work. So any support you can give me would make a world of difference. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Paul Higgins from buildlivegive.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates 
travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Paul Higgins from buildlivegive.com. Paul, welcome to the show. Chapin, it's great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you, man. Thank you for taking the time. Where are you calling in from today? Melbourne, Australia. Nice. Born and raised? Yes. Oh, not in Melbourne. I was born and raised in Victoria, which is you know, the state. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, um, born uh, moved around quite a bit in Australia, and I've travelled a lot over the world. But uh, always called home Australia. Did you ever have any desire to live abroad, or was it just you always knew that this was going to be your home base? No, uh, I always have, and I will at some point. And I'm sure we'll get into my uh, medical history. But uh, yeah, I still plan. My ideal would be to spend three months away a year and the reminder here. And what kind of places do you dream about maybe residing in for those three months? Well, um, prior to the medication I now take, it was the sun. So Italy, Spain, anywhere where it was warm, uh, those you know lovely Mediterranean. But I think now it'll be those places more in winter. And uh, I really want to explore. I've always wanted to go from the stands, you know, right across to China. So I really love to to do that route. I feel you. That's been high on my list as well. Getting to the you know Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, <laughs> and I have interviewed individuals who kind of run their whole outfit out of the stands. They're called Nomadosaurus. They're actually an Australian-based couple. Um, they right. do they do trekking and photography tours through all the various countries in the stands and. Uh, just a delightful couple to have on. And I think always a good example of why it's important to hear different people's stories about where they travel, why they travel, because, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't know a lot of people who spend a lot of time in that part of the world. No. And as an American citizen, all we hear is all the negative things. So, you know, they were so kind and talk about the beautiful aspects of it and how safe it really is in 99.9% of, you know, all the stands that they go to, which I really appreciated. Yeah, brilliant. Well, um, I'll get their contact details post-show for sure. Absolutely. Just one thing, the medication you mentioned sounds like keeps you from spending too much time in the sun. Yeah, yeah. So I've got a 90% chance of getting melanoma cancer with the medication I'm on. Okay, I see. Well, yeah, let's maybe talk to the audience a little bit about, um, I know you have had a kidney transplant at this point. That has been a significant part of your life for a long period of time. Can you maybe just take us through what happened, where you started with your kidneys and, and the development of, of where you're at today? Yeah, so when I was 18, I went and uh, had a test because three years before that, my mother had had massive heart attack and uh, we nearly lost her three times. If she hadn't been in hospital or an ambulance, we would have lost her. And it sort of triggered, well, Why? you know, uh, obviously from the doctors. And her father had died when she was 12 at 41 and most of the family had died and it had all been heart attacks or heart-related. And then we found out, no, it was actually kidney failure. So we've got a condition called polycystic kidney disease and cysts can grow anywhere in your body 
and uh, we get them predominantly in the kidneys and also the liver. So I've got them in both and they just outgrow your organ. So, you know, my kidney that I had removed in 2018 was about uh, three and a half, four kilos, and I've still got one that's about four kilos. So, um, you know, they just keep growing. Like I've seen photos of some people that have got 18 kilo kidneys. Uh, they're, they're just just massive. So, um, yeah, so I basically at 18 got tested. I'll never forget the moment, walked out, looked at mum. She looked at me and I'm like, oh, yep, oh, I've got it. And um, that sort of, in that moment, I realised, well, look, I can't control the end outcome. I'm going to have kidney failure at some point, but why not control everything else? So ever since then, I've sort of been been high performing in everything I can do and um, you know it to be honest it's it's brought me a a brilliant life and a life that I would never change but it was based off you know a 50-50 at birth with uh, a disease that can be um, yeah very um, very difficult to live with. Yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. And I love your perseverance and your your high achieving attitude and what you have accomplished. I mean, these are the kind of stories that just inspire the heck out of me because, you know, what do I have to complain about? <laughs> you know, at this point in my life, I'm a 40 year old, I think fairly healthy individual. And, you know, with the upbringing that you had, do you mind me asking when you did find out that you had that, what was the kind of overall opinion of the family? It's like, can you fight this kind of thing? Is this just... in the way it's going to be is there anything you can do to like maybe uh, slow down the process can you talk us through that yeah so uh, the the number one thing is blood pressure so the kidneys regulate the blood pressure and uh, so I had to get that in check so you know at age 18 my blood pressure was like you know 160 and 120 or maybe even a little bit higher so the first thing was taking medication don't miss that so that that was the first thing and then you know there's some lifestyle choices now i've got to say you know an 18 year old saying that you know when you're potentially 50 60 you're going to have kidney failure and every moment you spend today is going to prolong that that doesn't really work for an 18 year old so i just live my life as any 18 year old any 20 year old any 30 year old it wasn't really until sort of my mid thirties that it really started to impact me. But early on, I was I was always cognizant of it, but I'd never tell anyone, so I'd never talk about it. Uh, and even, you know, I don't think people really understood how ill I was. Like I went from you know eighty kilos down to sixty five, and I looked sort of yellow jaundice. Like you could tell I wasn't a well person. But you know, when anyone anyone would ask me, I'd just say, I'm, I'm great, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. And and I think near the end when I, I nearly died when I had my uh, kidney removed, I think people thought, oh, you know what, he, he is actually really sick, but I'd never mm. really let on that I was sick. Are you like the type of 18-year-old who's going to bars and getting pissed up with yeah, your friends? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah. I, I've got an, a 19-year-old daughter at the moment, and it's just the pot calling the kettle black, right? I'm, I'm like, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> I just, um, yeah, it's it's um, history repeating itself, sadly. And then does she has the same 50-50 chance, I'm assuming, that you yeah. did, right? Yeah, so both her, I've got um, uh, Tamsin and Liam, mm-hmm. and, yeah, they both have now. We've d- discussed when it's time to test. Like mm-hmm. I said, I was 18, but uh, the big thing is we just check their blood pressure regularly at the moment. Mm-hmm. There's been uh, no indication of high blood pressure, so we hope that my my niece at, uh, I think it was seven or eight, 
went to um, went in for appendicitis and then they found cysts there and they were quite large. So it's it's really like my brother is six years younger than me, but he's got you know um, perfect kidney function. He's got cysts, but perfect mm. kidney function. So you know it just impacts everyone differently. Interesting. Was there any ever like trying to take alternative routes like herbs? Like, I yeah, don't... yeah. Great question. Yes, yeah, so I did some um, Eastern medicine. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll never forget. I went to a Chinese doctor and um, you know didn't give him any history. Walked in, sat down, looked at my palms, looked at my eyes, and he said, "You've got a major kidney disease, haven't you?" I'm like, "Wow." Um, yes, I have. And so that was that was great uh, acupuncture. You know, I changed my diet. I got a book on what foods to eat, not to eat, et cetera, for kidney health. And that was great. But when it started getting into some of the supplements and the vitamins, that's when, yeah, that's when I sort of, I didn't go that far down because, you know, yeah, my kidneys were pretty poor health by then. It is interesting because, yeah, your kidneys filter all that stuff, right? So if you're taking all these supplements, it's even more strenuous on your kidneys. Is that what I understand? Yeah, yeah. And and look, and, you know, my doctors were very good, but they're like, look, you know, um, we wouldn't advise it. And so I sort of went with that. And I, and I know even now I wake up every morning thinking, you know, all the drugs I take, I'd love for, to be a natural and there probably is a mm. natural for some of them but not for all of them so I just haven't gone down that that path but um, you know for me when I was at six percent kidney function you know if if anything had any food had any um, toxins in it it was just like a beacon for me like I could eat something and tell you hey you know <laughs> like it was that immediate that that I was impacted by it. And the toxins basically sit in your brain because they can't get filtered out. So they basically just sit in your brain. So you've got brain fog. So a lot of the mechanisms I've learned on how to run my business remotely, particularly from a hospital bed, was around the fact that a lot of the time, I, you know, my, my memory went. So basically I had to f- have a structure to help with that. And now for running a remote business and handing over knowledge and everything, it actually worked out really well. And as soon as I went on dialysis, bang, memory came back. Hmm. Interesting. And I love that you alluded to a structure for everybody listening who has foggy brain for whatever reason they might have it. You know, a lot of people attribute like wheat, you know, this like gluten to uh, providing many people with foggy brains. What was the structure you created under your circumstances to help? Yeah, so uh, the, my, my go-to personally was Evernote. So I just put everything in Evernote. And uh, quick story on that, post um, a nephrectomy, which is a removal of my, my large kidney, uh, the my iron levels were so low and the doctor said, oh, well, we're going to give you a transfusion. I said, no, that means that my donor and I won't be a match anymore, so you're not doing that. And he said, well, mate, I'm the doctor. I said, yeah, well, look, I'm the patient and here – specifically is the conversation I had with my nephrologist on this specific point and I showed it to him in Evernote and he's like, oh, okay, we'll, uh, I'll take your advice on this one. So, you know, that was just one example of like I was fastidious in taking all my medical records um, and then just anything personal. So, you know, it's like I think Einstein said that, you know, you don't have to have all the knowledge in the world, you just got to know how to find the book that has it. It's a scary thought, Paul. I mean, considering that this person's about to cut you open and he doesn't know that. I mean, it's very concerning to me to hear that. 
Oh, look, my my mum was basically, you know, from that age of 44, whatever she was, until she passed, thankfully, uh, a couple of months after I got my transplant. So that was a brilliant moment. And, you know, by my best friend who donated. So that was, that was incredible. But, you know, so many times I'd hear a doctor talk to her when she's in severe pain medication and, and I'd sit there and go, hey, that's not right. No, no, that's, you know, because she didn't really know what she was saying. And, and, and I'm a bit of an advocate of, of that. Like some doctors will sit at the end of your bed, read the notes. They can't even read the notes, right? So it's all handwritten notes. And it's like, no, no, that's not what the doctor said. The, the doctor said that. And then sadly, that's why there's so much, you know, um, the malpractice of, often is just from mistakes of people not collecting the right information. And now pre-conversation, this kind of all came to a head. I guess you got your transplant, what, 2018? 19. 19, 2019. So, I mean, this new lifestyle of yours has really been very new. Prior to all this coming to where you are today, I mean, I know you worked at Coca-Cola for quite some time, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, my father worked there, and I thought I'd never get a job there. But I worked all through university doing you know bits and pieces. It was, it was great. Uh, came out of university, they were desperate uh, for a rep at the time, a sales rep, and uh, they said, look, do it until you find another job, and that was turned into an 18-year career, and I sort of went from a rep, ended up as a director, and had a, a brilliant career. You know, I always say to people, it's an amazing company with maybe not the best products. It's interesting. So, I mean, from contrasting where you're at today with where you came from, I mean, that's a huge difference. I mean, you're an entrepreneur now. Like, was there anything in you that ever thought you'd become an entrepreneur? Yeah, look, I always wanted to run my own business. Um, if, if you're liking it from a biblical perspective, I, you know, I was sort of Saul and now I'm Paul. You know, mm -hmm. so I, I always loved, I love learning. I'm incredibly curious and I love high performance. So Coke at its peak was brilliant, right? It gave me all the experiences, but I always felt guilty selling sugar in a can because especially, you know, one of the key contributors to most kidney failure is diabetes, which is caused by sugar. So, you know, that it never sort of, it never really um, sat with me, but society hadn't moved that fast, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So sugar was still okay. Um, but in Australia, that changed pretty rapidly, and it was part of the reason why I left. But I was always an entrepreneur. So they would say, as a quick example, they said, look, um, here in Australia, in hotels, restaurants, cafes, our brand has disappeared. I want you to go to Europe uh, where it hasn't learned best practice and come back. And, you know, I went to Europe, got all my research and completely changed our, our strategy, brought back the small Coke glass bottles, which... I know for a lot of people are iconic bottles. We I brought those back and it ended up starting a whole alcohol division and led to a massive profit thing. But that's the sort of guy I was. It was like I was always a round peg in a square hole. So when you say entrepreneur, you mean you're inside of a like an institution, but you're, you're taking your entrepreneurial um, endeavors or motivations or ideas and creative creating something new for that company. Yeah, so politically it's uh, it's fought with the danger. So, you know, I'd have the MD say, okay, Paul, we're, we've got low share of uh, juice in Australia. I mm -hmm. want you to go and solve that. Now, that meant that you are a lot of more senior people than you. You had to step 
you know, had to work to change their strategies to achieve that. So, um, look, it was brilliant. It was a great career. I learned, I learned a lot. But, you know, my specialist said to me in 2011, look, it's pretty simple here. Um, you want to live as long on your kidney as possible because a transplant will give you about 20 years. So if you really want to see your grandkids, you you better make a choice. Do you want to continue to work for a company where you travel all over the world and work 80 hours a week and and all of that? Or do you want to see your grandkids? I said, okay, that's obvious, grandkids. And they said, well, I think you better find something else to do. And that's when 2011 I decided to, you know, hang up my shingle and uh, go out and do my own thing. And did you start with build, live, give, or were there multiple incarnations of something else? <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, probably multiple different ones. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, look, I uh, I started uh, coaching, executive coaching, and I quickly realized two things. One, I'm a much better mentor than coach. You know, to sit there and let someone, you know, bring all the the insights and me just sit there silent, it's just not not me. So, and the other thing is, I just corporate like a lot of things they were facing. I'm like, well, I've, I've faced that in 18 years, and I just don't know how you solve that. So then I moved into mentoring and I moved into small business and that was brilliant. I uh, started an outsourcing company in the Philippines and then I also um, set up a technology consulting company as well and um, ran those to about 2016 when, uh, yeah, my health sort of took a bit of a dive. So when you speak about high performance, can you define that and how you see high performance? Yeah, I think high performance is like, you know, Kazan, which is about continual improvement, I think high performance is just doing that at the highest level you can. So uh, for uh, an example for me would be LinkedIn, right? So LinkedIn's a, a fantastic platform. We all use LinkedIn. But post, my, the first time my doctor or specialist looked me in the eye, they said, Paul, you know what, you can actually go out and market yourself because I always worried that if something happened to my health, I'd let people down. And they said, it's okay, your kidney's great, your health's great, you can go market yourself. So I said, okay, I want to be the, you know, one of the best people on LinkedIn in the world. So I actually found the person that was and just said, I don't care what it costs me, just teach me what you know in an hour or two hours. Like just give me all your best learnings. And when they heard about my story, they thankfully uh, reduced the, 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 the rate, but that's what I did. And then I went and implemented it, iterated. And I think now I don't know, but I think I'm one of the better people on LinkedIn because of that. So to me, that's what I determine as high performing, find out who's the best in the world, go out and learn from them, and then, you know, iterate yourself to be even, you know, the best version of you on it. What other aspects of your life have you applied that philosophy to? Yeah, so sport. Uh, I love my sport. So, um, you know, similar thing like uh, cycling. It's funny. Um, I became addicted to cycling. So it depends where you are in the world. But let's say roughly, you know, 400 miles a week, you know, 600 kilometers roughly mm-hmm. a week I used to ride. And uh, I rode with like one of the, the, the top groups here in Australia. And, um, you know, it was a social group, so I was never a professional, but I rode at a really high level and I, you know, did all the right things. But I was actually probably had, if you look from a haemoglobin point of view, most people have, you know, 120 to 140 haemoglobin. Like, you know, I was below 100. So I could legally have um, 
oh God, what was uh, Lance uh, Lance Armstrong was allegedly? Epi like or yeah, yeah. Um, I forget what it's called. Sorry, but injections yeah. to boost your hemoglobin. I could have had that, but I mm. chose not to. So okay. I was keeping pace with these guys, even though I had such a low hemoglobin, which really makes all the difference. So. You know, that's an example to me of how I plotted my sport. That's great. That's so cool to hear. I think it was EPO. EPO maybe? Is that yeah, what it was yeah, called? Yep, EPO. Yep, EPO. Yep. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, talk about perseverance, especially, you know, not having actual the right amount running through your body to keep up with everybody. That's awesome, dude. I mean, hats off to you. Yeah, and, and, and now I'm on a, a, uh, a journey with my golf, so I'll do the same thing now you know i call it high performance my wife calls it obsessiveness <laughs> i don't know. <laughs> you know well let me ask you two ways to look at something <laughs> i think about this a lot because i think to be successful at anything there has to be a portion of obsession within you i've had it within a certain amount of things that i've achieved in my life that were big goals and i was fully obsessed what do you think about that do you think you have to have an obsessive something achieve what you want i think so and, and i think if you look at the you know that uh i had a, a brilliant mentor that uh, had a fantastic exit in a startup um we'll never have to work again he was 29 years of age and he you know he he knew all the key players in in the valley um and you know he, he said that obsessiveness is a trait they've all got now mm. he said for you i don't recommend you go down anywhere near that path. And I said, like, why? He said, because for you, your family and your health are the most important things in your life. You will lose both of those if you go down that obsessive path of building a business like that. Mm. And that's when, you know, that's when the the brand Build, Live, Give came out, which was, you know, build a great business, deliver great life, and then to give back. And that's where I'm happy. I'm happy in that. I'm not happy. Sorry, I wouldn't be content been obsessive when it comes to to business, but I do think that's what makes the difference between people that really strike success and um, and everyone else. I agree, and it's a great segue into what you're doing now. But before I, I just want to say that I like what you said about or implied that it's a choice. Like it's not necessarily yes, people are born with like maybe obsessive compulsive natures, but it is a choice at some point that I remember making for myself where it's like, no, this is I'm gonna allow this to con- fully consume me and just let it let my brain feed on on everything that I'm thinking about when I'm trying to achieve these goals. And I started wondering if that was maybe already in me or if it was a legitimate choice. And I got from you and what you just said that you implied, like you can choose, you can totally choose to just get super obsessed with whatever you're into. Was that kind of what I heard from you? Yeah, I definitely. And, and, you know, I had someone the other day on the golf range say, we're going to the exact same coach. And he says, this is a six month exercise. Just be patient, whatever. And I'm sitting in my head going six months, no way. Like I've already made massive improvement in three lessons you know, I want this thing done and dusted, you know, within six weeks, not six months. But, you know, I think that's that's the obsessive high-performing part of someone versus someone that was very comfortable to do it in, in six months. And there's nothing wrong with either option. It, like you said, I think it's a choice. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk a bit about uh, buildlivegive.com. And as well, it's your book. You have a, a book called Build, Live, Give as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, um 
I actually wrote it whilst I was on dialysis. So 2018 had the uh, nephrectomy, the kidney removal, went on dialysis for uh, five or six months. And uh, just as I said earlier, the nephrectomy went really poorly. So it was meant to be a standard procedure, go in, keyhole surgery, remove a large kidney, you know, um, everything's fine. Whereas Mm -hmm. I woke up in ICU basically saying, look, you're minutes from passing. They'd cut my main, they tore my main aorta when they went to move, main artery, um, when they went to move the kidney. And yeah, it it wasn't great because once again, they didn't want to give me a uh, transfusion, blah, blah, blah. I'll I'll bear you. But, you know, Mm What 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 it's left with me, which is fantastic, is I look like I've been bitten by a shark. So, <laughs> but you do just, have your mate's kidney, right? Yeah, correct. So I've got my mate's kidney, but before I got that, let's just say the surgeon must have been panicky because the cut is <laughs> from one side of my body to the other, <laughs> and it's definitely not straight. But you well, know, oh, for for my sixteen year old son and his mates that come around, I go, oh yeah, I only swim in the pool, and they go, why? I go, oh well, I was you know surfing down it at Phillip Island and, you know, got bitten by a shark, um, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But anyway, um, yeah, so uh, the book I, I basically wanted to give back. So I thought the best way for me to take away, you know, the the boredom and the frustration of being, you know, on a dialysis machine, you know, it was, you know, um, three times a week, four and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, was like, well, why don't I focus on other, others and give back? So, you know, I've, I basically went from a corporate director to running a business here on dialysis. You know, how did I do it and how could I help people? They don't have to be on dialysis, but they could either be in corporate and not love what they're doing. So here's a way to make that move. Or, you know, they could be in their business and it's an, on, uh, an offline business and they really want to be able to travel the world, do the things, the lifestyle they really want, but they can't do that. So I thought, well, I've gone ahead and done it. I've learned it because I had a health condition that really drove me to do that. But if you don't, why don't I share my secrets? And that's how Build, Live, Give, the book came about. That's really cool. And yeah, so poignant for the times in which we find ourselves in and people listening out there who are forced to transition and forced to change because they're jobless, like many people around the world. Um, And some of them have maybe been thinking about this for a long time, but maybe just didn't have the courage to take that first step. So it's exciting to hear somebody who, under your circumstances, pulled it off. And I'd love to maybe, if you wouldn't mind divulging a few of your secrets, if you wouldn't mind giving us a, a taste of one or two of them that you feel could really maybe help somebody listening right now, um, either you know level up you know from that six to seven figure portion of whatever they're doing online or entrepreneurial, or maybe even just inspire somebody to start. Yeah, look, and you know, I think there's there's never the right or wrong moment. I think that's the first thing. You know, it's like that choice of being obsessive. You know, it's your choice. So for me, yes, my health did drive it, but ultimately I could have just, you know, sat there in my corporate job and work less and not achieved and let my health take over, but I made that choice. I think if you're listening now and you really want to make that choice, I think, you know, there's no right or wrong time, but I do think that you've got to make a decision either way. So um, I think that's the, the most critical thing. And there's great people like that will support you uh, in that journey. So you know, that's the overall. But but I just came up with five things, right? And to me, they weren't, you know, they were pretty obvious, but I put a lot of detail behind them. But the first one is just personal uh, effectiveness. And, you know, 
I always say if if you're going to run a work from anywhere business, uh, you just need three things. You need a computer, a phone, and a virtual assistant. All right, and you just got to have those three three things. So, um, you know, I've got a whole chapter dedicated to virtual virtual assistants, like I said, had an outsourcing business. But I think that that's critical these days. Um, and definitely with time zones, when you're traveling, et cetera, you can just, you know, tap into different people all over the world. They love um, earning American dollars in the country that they live in. And you love the fact that they're bringing you, um, you know, great clients and, and great experience. So that's the first. The second is ideal client. I think everyone talks this, you know, just just be really clear on um, on who you, you want to serve and just find out their problem before you, you know, come up with a solution. So I think that's pretty obvious. And I'm, I'm someone, a niche or niche depends where you are, but I actually do believe in being really clear. So, you know, I service, you know, my key clients are service-based business owners. You know, that's who I focus on. So when someone comes to my profile, it's very clear. Third is the business model. And I think this is where it links to your lifestyle. Right, so you know, don't don't find the right clients. You work out the problem, and then it's got you working fifty or sixty hours a week, you know, or it's not a recurring revenue model, or you know, it's not a way that supports your lifestyle. So work out your priorities and get the business model then to fit that. And recurring revenue is the best. Well, one of the best things ever invented. I think compound interest has been the best, but it's one of the best. So make sure you've got that sales focus. I think you know you've you've got to do the sales uh, to begin with, and as a rough rule of thumb, there's fifty percent of sales that only you can do, and fifty percent that is like admin. And I think really working that out is important. And uh, you know, I've got a whole area of the things. So under sales focus, we've got you know killer marketing asset, existing client mining, new client acquisitions, sales funnel sales systems and supports. So I've got a lot under that, which I won't go through. And the last one is just high-performing team. And your team, as I said before, it doesn't have to be full-time. And you can just tap into experts all over the world. And that's that's what I do. I've got specialists in all the little areas that my core team don't look after. So if you get those five things right, you can work from anywhere and you can earn great money to then live, allow you to live and give. That's awesome, Paul. Yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing all those things with us. Um, I think anybody listening who needs to like really elevate what they're at in life would benefit from your book. What's it? Build, live, give, and they can get that on Amazon. Yeah, 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 and it's on uh, Audible as well. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I'm really enjoying Audible these days. It actually helps yeah. me read a lot more, even though I'm just listening. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a I'm a two and a half, three times speed guy. You know, okay. a little bit linked to my high performance. And, uh, yeah, I love the fact because when, when I was really sick, um, I'd fall asleep all the time, right, In, anywhere and everywhere. You know, I couldn't watch a movie. I couldn't do anything. And reading books, I just got sick of smacking my head mm-hmm. with a book, you know, <laughs> lying in bed next to it, smack on my glasses, <laughs> whereas podcasts, it was a lot easier. Um, and you have a podcast too. Let's talk about that really quick because I'm interested in and in who you who's your target audience when you are, you know, speaking to your guests. Who you who, what types of people are you bringing on? High yeah, performers. So, yeah, look, high performing service based uh, owners, and most of them have had a corporate background, and now they're running their own biz, right? And 
you know, it's it's about you know, the, the, the normal two pain points a lot of business owners, service-based business owners that I've found and, and I had was how do I how do I scale my sales? Like how do I build a sales system so that it's not always relying upon me? And how do I get out of delivery? You now, how do I get a team to actually deliver the stuff? And, you know, I think um, that's what I do. I just interview people that have gone through, maybe even going through that journey to share. And we we go through, you know, how they built their business, you know, the key things in their lifestyle, which is their habits, et cetera, it makes them successful, um, people that have supported them, and then, you know, how they give back. And then we've got some rapid fire. So that's the interview. And then I've got a solo show that, you know, topics that come directly from my mentees. And then I, as I've solved it for them or we've solved it together, then I share that. And that's about a 10-minute um, once a week. That's awesome. Yeah, I was looking at some of your testimonials. And though I don't know her personally, I believe she's in the D.C. It's the CEO of Bean Ninja. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's uh, Meryl Johnson, who, um, yeah, she's a fantastic. Uh, so when I originally uh, worked with Meryl, she had um, – swapped from a consultant um ex ex um corporate uh tax or accounting i should say swapped into consulting and then yeah she set up a model of what now is one of the largest growing bookkeeping services in the world and we're able to get her some funding and yeah she was brilliant to work with and she's a mad uh, loves her surfing and uh she's just had a little baby girl so she's built a business that definitely allows her to to um, live a great lifestyle. Yeah, I think, uh, like I mentioned, we're in the same group. Have you heard of the Dynamite Circle? Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, yeah. Um, she's in there. I'm pretty, I've heard a lot of people use her service and they love it. And the fact that she loves surfing means I should reach out to her. Maybe I can give her some coaching tips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, don't worry. My, my, bro- my son will be coming after you as well. Nice. When you describe yourself as somebody who really shines in like the seven figure arena, how do you determine that? Like you help seven figure service-based business owners, you know, grow and, and level up. Like, why is that your sweet spot? How is that your sweet spot? Yeah. Great, great question. So for most of 2016 to 2019, I really focused on solo coaches and consultants. And I still have, especially for my, um, it's called the sales machine where we help people improve their sales. Uh, that's still my core market. But um, it, uh, what, what I found is, you know, that some of the things that I, I saw, the vision of the business, et cetera, and where it was going, they just didn't have the appetite to build something that was seven figures, right? Awesome people, but they, you know, for lifestyle choices, whatever, they, they didn't want to do that. So I just, um, you know, the end of 2019 just basically moved up a level. So instead of helping people from, you know, 500,000 below, I just went to one to 10 million as that next group. So because um, I think, you know, all my Coke experience and my nine years of running my own business, I think I can just provide more value to someone that's actually building a sales machine and also building a team than if someone that's just staying solo. That's interesting what you just said, the appetite you know, to level up to the seven figure. And it's, I've heard this before, and maybe you can talk us a little bit through this, which is what that, that jump is tremendously difficult and like hard cognitively for people to really wrap their head around. Where do you see the most um, resistance coming in 
for those types of people? Yeah, great question. I think it's just the ability to let go, to be completely honest. Mm. Uh, you know, I think the the people that don't make that jump, like some of it is a lifestyle uh, choice, but I think also some of it is the fact that they just love what they're doing so much. They just want to continue delivering, right? Mm. And they might want to continue to be a consultant and they're happy to have, you know, 10 clients rather than build an online membership or you know, build an online course or something else, which is sort of that next level. They, they just don't want to do that. They love what they do and they just want to continue to do that. And I think that sometimes, so yes, it's a choice, but also other times I think it's just the fact that, yeah, they love it so much they don't want to let go and let other people do it. And that seems to be the common thing I hear too. You need a team to really help you take it to the next level. Yeah, I think Michael Hyatt uh, beautifully said, um, if you if you don't have a team, you don't have a business. Mm-hmm. I don't have any business. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, as I said before, a team doesn't have to be expensive, right? So now mm. you can get specialists. Like I've vetted, I think the latest was 471 specialists around the world. So when someone comes to me in my mentor group and says, hey, Paul, I need a website developer, I need a... Uh, I need a graphic designer. I need a Facebook ads person. I'm like, here's three. So I've vetted them. You know, someone in the community's used them. And here, go, here's three. You go and pick the one that your personality works best with. But, you know, because I got burnt so many times. And I don't know if you've been burnt. And I mean, you listening now, if you're nodding your head, I think we all have. But it's hard. Like some people, you know, sell a great game, but not everyone delivers. And when I was in Coke, you know, we had the, best experts in the world and they always delivered so i got burnt big time i think you know round numbers about a hundred thousand us i would have poured down the drain by just two companies alone that just promised the world and left me left me hanging mm, that's painful to hear and yes it does happen to everybody and we all lick our wounds and and feel like we should have done better but it seems like even with services like yours where you vetted so many wonderful people we somehow still all fall into the same traps yeah yeah and, and it's, i suppose it's minimizing the risk mm-hmm. um i think that's the best like you know often people come to me and say okay well you know you, you know a lot about vas who should i use and i do know the companies that are reliable really train people well and i think if you get behind all the sales and marketing and actually really understand the operations i think you can better guide people and a lot of those people i mentor so that helps me to understand them but you know yeah there's a lot of people that focus all their effort on just getting more clients and sadly um not always on the delivery Mm. do you want to drop a name real quick just for the audience like a, a company that you think does a really good job with VEAs yeah, look, uh, I think one is uh, Extend the Team, Matt Yeys and his team. He's doing a brilliant job. He he gets really high-quality people out of the Philippines for uh, predominantly the American, but they're more like project and CEO, COO mm-hmm. type. Mm-hmm. And uh, another one is Outsourcing Angel, Lynn Padetti. Uh, she runs a fantastic um, service. So they're just a couple, but, you know, I've got a list of, yeah, I'm doing a, a disservice to everyone I know, but I think they're the two that immediately, immediately come to mind. No, that's right. I put you on the spot. And um, yeah, I think, you know, with everything you've described, it's it's really incentivizing to, you know, come over to your site, check it out, 
buildlivegive.com for the audience. Check out his book, same name, podcast, same name. All worthwhile. Before I let you go, though, because we talked pre-show a little bit about something near and dear to your heart, which is organ donation. Do you want to talk a little bit about that for us? Yeah, yeah. So uh, as I said earlier, my best friend of 30 years uh, gave me uh, his kidney. And, um, yeah, I cannot tell you the difference that's made to my life. And like I said, my mum got to see it. And my mum, having lived on dialysis for 11 years, probably five too many, for her to see me get a, a, a transplant, not just improve my life but just the difference that made from her and if you you know remember back when she was when I was 18 and that look like that look of guilt I think finally that dissipated before she left and that's the difference it can make so for it's different by country and it's different by region but you know if you're not an organ donator uh, just coming from someone that that's had the amazing life change because of it just please go and and um you know, tick the box, call, opt in, whatever you got to do, but please become an organ uh, donor because, yeah, the change it makes uh, is just incredible. So I'd love for you to do that. Paul, it's been a pleasure, man. I always like to close with one more thing. I've already kind of touched upon it, but if you could just speak to one individual listening, really just give them that extra bit of motivation, that extra bit of inspiration to start that first business, take that first trip, what would you say to them? Yeah, just do it. I know that sounds really obvious, but but do it, but also join a fantastic community that's gone before you. Okay, so get that support. So like you said, you're in Dynamite Circle, which is fantastic. You know, um, I've got a community. There's lots of communities out there. Don't do it alone, all right? I did it alone for too long. Don't do that. So make the leap, but make sure you get a great community supporting you. Paul. Folks, check him out. Build, live, give. Thank you, Paul, for your time. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Awesome, Paul. Thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure. Folks, check him out at buildlivegive.com. Go check his book out as well. You can get that on Amazon. What a special man. What a special story. Thank you for all you do, Paul. You are in a beautiful misfit and reject. And to you folks listening, you know how I think you all are so very beautiful. I appreciate you coming and supporting me, listening to Misfits and Rejects, sharing Misfits and Rejects, leaving a comment and review for Misfits and Rejects. And again, if you want to take that route and head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop, pick up a shirt, or head over to patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects and leave a monthly donation. It means the world to me. I appreciate those who have already done it. And thank you to you if you're considering and doing it as well. Thank you again for listening. I'll see you next week's episode, Monday morning, 9 a.m. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.